this morning will be in Exodus chapter 40, the last chapter in the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 40. Today we conclude our study in the book of Exodus, and the book can be broken down into two main sections, if you remember, all the way back to the very first time when we did an overview of the book. And the two main sections are these, God delivers His people, chapters 1 through 18, so that they may worship Him. Chapters 19 through 40. God had said this from the beginning when He called Moses from the burning bush. He said, You are going to tell Pharaoh to let My people go so that they may worship Me. And yet, Pharaoh was obstinate and repetitively reluctant, but eventually, God broke him through the ten plagues that He brought upon Egypt and Israel walked out from under the oppression of Egypt unharmed. Pharaoh changed his mind about letting them go almost immediately, really just a couple days after he had let them go. And so he sent his army to pursue them, and God delivered Israel through the Red Sea. Again, not one Jew was harmed, and so the end of that that, that, uh, miracle was the people of Israel singing praise to God following what He had done there at the Red Sea. Well, from there, God led them to Mount Sinai so that they would hear from Him and learn what He required for them to worship Him on His terms. And along the way, they forgot God and they forgot about His, uh, the way that He had provided for them. And so God had to remind them in a couple of ways. And so those first 18 chapters are all about God delivering His people. And then in chapters 19 through 40, we see the the conclusion of the book really, which is that they may worship Him. What, What does real worship of God look like? For Israel, God would explain that in chapters 25 through 31. God gave Moses detailed instructions on the design and the setting up of the tabernacle because the way that Israel was going to worship Him was at God's dwelling place, the tabernacle. And then in chapters 35-39, through 39, the people give supplies necessary for the making of the tabernacle and the craftsmen take all the supplies that they have and put it all together. And now here in chapter 40, we come to the culmination of the book of Exodus where uh, God had delivered His people so that they would worship Him. And now God is going to come to this dwelling place that He had designed and that they had made. He's going to come in a powerful way showing that He takes pleasure in meeting with them. And He's going to do this for centuries before there's a permanent establishment that is set up. Well, let me read beginning in chapter 40 with verse 17. And I'll read through the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 40 beginning in verse 17. This is the Word of God. Now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its sockets and set up its boards and inserted its bars and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he took the testimony and put it into the ark and attached the poles to the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. <clears throat> he, brought the ark <clears throat> he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up a veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Then he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. He set the arrangement of bread in order on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in the front of the veil, and he burned fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered it the burnt offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He placed a laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. From it Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar they washed just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. When we pursue worship according to God's terms, He takes pleasure in meeting with us. When we pursue worship according to God's terms, He takes pleasure in meeting with us. In verses 1-16, through 16, the verses that we didn't read, uh, we have final instructions for setting up the tabernacle. God has already given detailed instructions on what is to be done and how it's to be done. And here in verses 1-16, through 16, He tells Moses when it is to be done. Notice verse 2. On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So, in other words, on New Year's Day. Now, it's not the New Year's Day that we have. Ours is January 1st. For them, it was Nisan 1. Nisan 1 is towards the beginning of our spring, so late March sometime. But this, the, the reason that it's recorded for us is because it helps us to see how, far is, how long it's been really since the Passover. The Passover happened... Uh, on Nisan 14, so they're only 13 days away from the one-year anniversary of the first Passover. And I don't think this is a coincidence. I think the timing of the establishment of God's dwelling place was important because God is setting it up just a few weeks before they would celebrate Passover, be reminded of what God had done for them. In verses 3-8, through eight, the, the setup of the tabernacle and the furnishings, God again reminds them of what they're supposed to do. Verses 9-11, through 11, the consecration of the tabernacle and its furnishings. That they're supposed to set these things apart by anointing them. Verses 12-15, through 15, the consecration of the priests. Remember, God cannot be worshipped any way that we want to, but He must be worshipped on His terms. And since He is holy, He has to bring about some kind of a cleanness. And for them, they needed to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean. The whole tabernacle had to be clean. The priests had to be clean. And notice how Moses responds in verse 16. 
Thus Moses did, according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And then you should have noticed as we were reading verses 17 through 38 that there was a phrase that was repeated multiple times, I think seven or eight times. In verse 19, we see it for the first time, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, end of verse 21, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, end of verse 23, the end of verse 25, the end of verse 27, the end of verse 29, and then the end of verse 32, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And the point that we ought to, to draw from this is that Moses is paying careful attention to what God had told them about how he wanted worship to be done. And so Moses does it just as the Lord had commanded him. And the result is that Moses sets up this tabernacle, verses 17 to 33, and then God meets with them. In verses 17 through 33, we see the setup of the tabernacle that God had commanded, the way that God had commanded. We saw the, the tabernacle and its furnishings, and it should have been, as we were reading through, it should have been brought back some ideas of what these things are, where they're placed in the tabernacle, the purposes of them. We're not going to go into all that today. But the point is that the furniture was put in place where God wanted it and, and it was made according to how God wanted it. Notice in verses 26 to 28 that Moses here is functioning as the high priest. Then he placed the gold altar, verse 26, in the tent of meeting in the front of the veil and he burned fragrant incense on it. In verse 28, then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. It is Moses who's acting as the, the high priest, so to speak. And that's because... Uh, the, the priests were not officially ordained until Leviticus chapter 8, which is the next book in your Bible. In verses 31 and 32, Moses and Aaron are ceremonially cleansed in uh, verses 31 and 32. And then notice verses, verse 33 at the end of the verse. Thus Moses finished the work. So God had given all these commands starting back in chapter 25 long list of commands, very detailed, how it would be done and in the exact way that God wanted it, what kind of materials were going to be used. And then in chapters 35 to 39, the people give to that work in order to provide for all these materials. God allows them to give out of a, out of a grateful heart and they give, in fact, more than what was needed. And then Moses has the craftsmen put these things together. Moses sets it all up. And this is kind of the, fi the final quality control, making sure that everything is exactly as God had commanded him. And the result is that when Moses follows God's design for worship, God, verses 34 through 38, is happy to meet with his people. God here in verses 34 to 38 takes up residence with his people. We see that he meets with them on the first day of the, the second year, verse 17. Now, in the first month of the second year, on the first day, this is this Nisan 1, their, their New Year's Day. God here is meeting with them. Now, why don't you notice the first word in verse 34? Because this is where it shows that God is meeting with them. The word is then. And I believe that this is connecting us to the previous passage, verses 17 to 33, the actions of Moses. And what was that common phrase? Just as the Lord commanded Moses over and over again. He did it just as God had said. And then the next word, verse 34, then. And we could say God met with them. 
I, th- I think it's because the direct result of careful obedience to God's instructions for worship results in spectacular and unmistakable presence of God. Now, this is not the first time that the glory cloud had been seen by Israel. Remember, they had seen the glory cloud in the wilderness when it was leading them out of Egypt to the Red Sea. Remember, it stopped and then when they were had their backs to the Red Sea and Egypt was coming at them, the glory cloud actually went behind them to protect them until they could cross through and then it went back out in front of them. So they, they had seen it there. They had also seen the glory cloud at the top of Mount Sinai. This is where Moses went to receive the law. And he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And they had seen this cloud. It was like a billow of smoke continually going up uh, as if the mountain was on fire. And this glory cloud, as we'll see in verse 36, is going to continue to lead them. This is not going to be the last time that they see this glory cloud. That is the, the manifestation of God's presence. But this is a special this is a special evidence of God's nearness because in chapter 25 verse 8 God said to construct the tabernacle so that he would dwell among them. They constructed the tabernacle according to how he wanted it and now he's going to dwell among them. He's going to dwell not in front of them just just in front of them when he leads them to the various places in the wilderness but actually in their midst. Do you remember where the tabernacle was set up? is actually in the center of their camp. All the other tents were set up around the tabernacle so that God is at the center of what they're doing. That He is He is in the midst of them. He is dwelling among them. And this is a wonderful reminder and blessing for Israel that God was not going to leave them. That God was with them. God wanted to make it clear that He was near. But He also wanted to make it clear that He was holy. And that's why Moses, verse 35, notice, Moses was not able to enter. Now, the text does not clearly uh, uh, tell us why Moses is unable to enter the tabernacle. Uh, One author suggests that God's glory has filled the tabernacle and following this glory cloud, uh, when when they move on, when the glory cloud moves on ahead of them, it, it will lead them, and now from now on, it's only going to hover above it, but this time it actually came into it. But I think we have other evidence in, in uh, Israel's wandering, Israel's going through the wilderness, that, that God actually comes into the place where the mercy seat is. That's kind of the point of it, that, that the high priest is actually go, goes into the Holy of Holies and he's able to meet with God, not just meet with the Ark of the Covenant. And so I, I don't... Uh, ex- I don't accept that suggestion by that, um, that the, the author there of the commentary. But it is clear that, notice verse 35, that Moses cannot enter. Notice why. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory had filled the tabernacle. God did take pleasure in meeting with His people and the presence of God was evidence uh, that, that God was near but Moses could not enter because God was in the tabernacle at that time. Apparently, uh, it, it could be simply that Moses was not the official high priest that would be established and only the high priest could come in. It could be that God's glory was so, was so profound at this time that, that not even Moses could come in any part of the tabernacle. He had to stay out in the courtyard. But, but whatever the case, God comes in a powerful way to show that He is near. 
And I think this presence of God here in this place in the book of Exodus helps us to see that Israel truly repented. Remember at the, the, um, the, the base of Mount Sinai, which is where there are, that's where their camp is. It's really at the base. But, but as Moses goes up to the top, as he's away, what's happening down below? Right? Aaron is saying, they're, they're complaining to Aaron that Moses is gone. He probably left us. They're probably never going to see him again. And Aaron says, bring me all of your, your gold earrings and bracelets and everything they got is gold. And he, he crafts out of the gold a calf that they can worship. He says, here is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And now you go and worship Him. And there's this loud cry of, of, of uh, excitement and joy that comes from the camp down below. And Moses comes down and shows that they have broken the covenant with God by smashing the tablets that he had, which had the, the commandments of God on them. He smashes them at the base of the mountain to show that this covenant's over. Remember what God said? I'm, I'm not going to go with them now. I'll send them on ahead, but, but I'm not going with them. Moses says, wait, wait, wait. They're, they're going to repent, God. What if they repent? Then will you go with them? And they repent. And they show their repentance, I think, through their giving primarily the acceptance of their consequences and also through their giving. They gave all these materials, remember, and they gave more than enough of the materials that were needed. And I think the evidence that God accepted their repentance is seen here in chapter 40 that God actually comes to meet with them. Hey, now I am going to be your God. I am compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And I have renewed the covenant. The way that we know that the covenant is renewed is because Moses goes back up and receives another tablet from God that would have those same commandments on them. And so now God's saying, listen, we're entering into this covenant again. Even though you've broken your end of the deal, I still will be your God. I'm, I'm going to renew this covenant. And the greatest evidence of that here is with God meeting with them. And what we learn here from verses 36 to 38 is that God continually meets with them and leads Israel. It's not that He says, okay, I saw your repentance. Here I am. I'm going to meet with you. What do you have? Do you have anything to say? Do you need anything? Okay, I'm gone. But, but rather, verse 36 teaches us that, notice, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. In other words, this is how they knew when to move to another village or another city. When to move camp. Verse 37, But if the cloud was not taken up, that is, that it stayed in the tabernacle, that's what we should recognize, that God is staying among them, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. Verse 38, For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. God was not going to abandon him, abandon them, was He? He was going to stay with them all the way throughout their journey. That the God was not only near once and gone. God was not going to allow them to go through the wilderness alone like He had proposed after the golden calf incident. He was going to be with them every step of the way. And that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the same God that we serve. We serve the God who is with us every step of the way. That He is with us. He is near to us. He doesn't abandon us. In some ways, for Israel, this is the end of a long journey. I mean, think about it. How long had Israel, 
as a people. How long had they been gone from the land of Canaan? It was 400 years and it's still another 40 before they get back there, but they were outside the land of Canaan when Joseph, through his wisdom and and, uh, obedience, was able to bring about great uh, benefits and blessings to Israel over in Egypt, protected them from from the famine that, that had come on Israel. And the worst part was that they had been gone for so long from Canaan and they were far away from Canaan and they had been living under the tyranny of a godless ruler, Pharaoh. But here at the base of Mount Sinai, they had been delivered from that oppression so that they could worship God. And here we see God meeting with them in a spectacular way. And the long journey has in many ways come to an end, but it has also really just begun, hasn't it? Because there was much more that God was going to do in Israel. There's much more learning that Israel needed. There was even much more betrayal that Israel would express. And yet through it all, God would not go back on His promise. He was going to be faithful to them until the end. And so let's consider three implications from this passage this morning. Three implications. Number one, God is near and He cares. God is near and He cares. We don't have to fear what lies ahead because we can be sure that God is with believers. It doesn't matter what your background was like, what kind of struggles you face. You can leave the past in the past and look forward with great hope because God's presence is with you. I mean, think about Israel. They had committed a flagrant idolatry against God. And it nearly brought about their own condemnation right there at the base of Mount Sinai. God said, I'm going to wipe them out completely. And I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses says, don't do that. Please, God, for the sake of your name, don't do that. And so what we see is that God was compassionate and that the people repented and that God forgave. Their future, yes, was unclear. They had no ideas They had no idea about what the dangers and troubles that they had that that faced them. But they could be comforted in knowing that God would not leave them to live and to travel alone. His glory was evidence that He was there and He cared. He was right there in the middle of their camp. But what about us? How do we know that God is with us and that He cares for us today? How do we know? Do we obey all of God's commands when it comes to worship and then expect God to His glory cloud to manifest itself here in this building? Is that how we know that God is near? No, we actually have a clearer way even than that. And that is the promise from His Word. Hebrews 13.5, God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We know that that's going to be the case because God has been faithful to His promise. He has He has never gone back on His promise. And so He will be with us all the way until the end. And we know that He cares because we have witnessed and experienced His great love displayed most powerfully on the cross. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame and bore the wrath. And we stand forgiven at the cross. We know that God is with us and that He cares most clearly because of the cross, what Jesus did. 
that he crushed that God crushed his son so that we could come into his presence. And our stubbornness and willful rebellion may at times threaten the removal of his presence, but God will never go back on his promise to be with us and to care for us. We may we may fail him, but God is faithful. God will will uh, continue to to be with us and to care for us. And so one of the great principles that we learn from the book of Exodus is that God is a personal God, that He loves us and that He wants to be with His people. And we have a great promise for us as New Testament believers that God will never leave us. So I don't know what kind of challenges that that you have going on right now fully, and I don't know what's going to lie ahead for any any of you. But I, what I do know is that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as the only means of your salvation, that, that Jesus is enough to satisfy God's wrath for your sin. If you've done that, then what I can promise you on the basis of the authority of God's Word is that God will never leave you. He is with you now. And you can rely on that promise all the way to the grave. Number two, second implication from Exodus 40. Believers must recognize the great gift of God's presence. Believers must recognize the great gift of God's presence. The the point of the book of Exodus is that God delivered Israel so that they would worship Him. And, And what a spectacular display of God's mercy for Him to condescend to meet His people. But I hope you recognize that we are able to meet God in a much more powerful way than Israel. For Israel, they had to meet God immediately. That is, through a mediator. We have immediate access to God. That is, apart from a mediator. Listen to Hebrews 4.14-16 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest, think Old Testament, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. See, Old Testament Israel didn't have a high priest like that that was without sin. Therefore, verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The way that I've explained this is that, yes, there is only one mediator between God and man, and the man is Christ Jesus. But if you think about it, we go to God through the Son. We go to God through God. So we have immediate access to God. We no longer have to go through a fallen human priest, do we? We don't have to go to someone who's the leader of a church and say, I need to talk to God. Can you talk to Him for me? We don't have to have someone go into some special room, the Holy of Holies, in order for someone to meet with God and to offer atonement for our sins. We now come to God through Jesus Christ. We come to God through God. We go directly to Him. That's why the author of Hebrews says, now we can go boldly to the throne of grace. We have much more powerful access to God even than Israel. For Israel, they had to go through a high priest. They could not meet with God themselves. It was no small thing for them to come into the presence of the Holy One of Israel. 
For them, remember, it required cleansing and atonement and consecration, covenant, forgiveness. And it couldn't just be anyone that came to Him. You couldn't just barge right into the tabernacle, open up the, the, the veil, and, and walk into the Holy of Holies and say, God, I'm here to meet with you. You'd be struck dead because that was not done according to God's term. Instead, you had to come through a high priest. But what is it about us that makes us more special than the Israelite believer? What makes us more special than the high priest even? Remember, the high priest couldn't just go in whenever he wanted. How often could he go? Only once a year. And he had to come with a a sacrifice. What makes us more special than the high priest in Israel? The answer is that we live on this side of the cross. The veil has been torn in two. We no longer have to bring a sacrifice for our sins. Because Christ was that sacrifice. Christ is that sacrifice. He sustained. Uh, he, he satisfied excuse me, all that God demanded by giving Himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And as John says, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have limitless access to God. And so we are much better than they in that regard. We are in a much more privileged position. Let's put it that way. It's not that we're better people than they are, but, but we're in a much more privileged position than Old Testament Israel. But I hope you recognize that even you do not have the greatest access to God. That there is coming a day when you will have even better access to God. You will have the best access to God. You see, you now have received the great gift of God's presence and you can enjoy the benefits of that presence because of Jesus. Because Jesus has the authority to stand in the presence of God in your place. And you know the rest of Israel's story if you've been a Christian for a number of years. You know that this mobile tabernacle is replaced by a more permanent dwelling place called the temple some five centuries later with the construction overseen by King Solomon. But as the centuries passed, Israel became more and more apathetic to God's desires. And eventually in Ezekiel 10.18, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord departed from the temple. This happened in the late 6th century B.C. And God's glory would not return to that temple until 550 years later when Jesus comes into the temple to cleanse it. And He responds to the Jews who say, who gives you the right to be able to cleanse the temple. right? To overturn these tables as if you're the authority. Jesus says this, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What we learn from that is God now has returned to the temple in the person of Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus actually calls Himself the temple. Destroy this temple, this body, and in three days it will be raised up again. He's talking about His resurrection. Jesus is the dwelling place of God. But after Jesus left, we took on the name of the temple. Paul says, you are the temple of God. God actually dwells inside of you in the person of His Spirit. But there is greater access coming to God than we currently have. And that is in the Millennial Kingdom where the Jerusalem Temple will be a reminder of God's presence, but but the greatest time will be in the eternal state when Revelation 21-22 says this, 
John says, I saw no temple in the new Jerusalem, this new city, this new heavens, new earth. I saw no temple in it. Why? Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. God sets up His dwelling place on the earth, on the new earth. And now we will be able to see the triune God face to face. We will not ever be removed from the unshielded presence of God. We will be able to see Him. And so that is the greatest access that we can have. That is the access that we look forward to having. Because in this way, we are often, uh, we are often removed from God's presence with our sin and with our finite understanding of who God is. And in the next life, we will be able to see Him face to face. We'll be, we'll, we'll be able to put things in proper perspective, in greater perspective than we have them now. God, God is near and He cares. Secondly, believers must recognize the great gift of God's presence. And then thirdly, God can use difficulty to draw you to Himself. God can use difficulty to draw you to Himself. In the larger context, God led Israel into Egypt, which started out as a good thing, but eventually when another Pharaoh came along who did not know Joseph, he started to oppress Israel, and then God leads them out of Egypt and the oppression, but then there's difficulty all along the way, and then in the end, what was God doing? He was doing what we see here in chapter 40. He's getting them to a place where their hearts will be repentant and wanting to have His presence. And He's bringing them to a place where He would meet with them. God used that difficult 400 years to bring them to a place where He would meet with them. And God may use the same, something similar in your life, a difficulty to bring you to a place of trust and dependence on Him, a place where you have uh, become serious about your repentance so that in the end, you will get the great privilege of meeting with God. And as a Christian, there is nothing greater that you can experience than to meet with God. God is near and He cares. For us as believers, God's nearness is comforting. But if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as the only way to receive eternal life, then God's nearness is actually terrifying. Because God's nearness demands our submission to Him. Proverbs says that God's eyes go throughout the whole earth. He he knows all that's going out on. They go back and forth across the whole earth. And there's nothing hidden from God. And so God's presence, God's nearness can actually be terrifying to someone who has rejected Him. And so I encourage you today to make sure that you have a proper relationship with God. And the only way that that relationship can come is through the finished uh, through believing in Jesus Christ and the finished work that He's done on the cross. That He has provided for you the atonement that you needed in order to pay for your sin. You cannot pay for your sin apart from the atonement of Christ. And the only other option is to spend an eternity in hell. And yet God, Christ has provided a way. God has provided a way through Christ for you to become one of God's family, one of God's children. And He does this so that you, like all of His creation, ought to 
so that you will reverence Him and appreciate His presence and recognize His mercy and give your lives in glad submission to Him. And so we happily follow God. We do exactly as God commands us because we know that that His ways are best, even when it doesn't seem like it. God is leading us to a place where we, we are in the best place possible, and that is in His presence, or His presence is, is near us. And so whatever you're going through, God, God is using it to bring, it, bring you to a better place where God is with you. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the example of Israel and how You used them to enlighten us about our, our hearts and about who You are and about Your provision throughout this whole journey from the crossing of the Red Sea all the way until they got into Canaan. You would provide for them uh, by allowing them to have clothes that would not wear out. You provided manna for them so they could eat every day. You often provided water for them in spectacular ways. And yet, we see ourselves in Israel because we fail to see Your hand in our lives at times. And we doubt You and we don't know where You're leading us. But we praise You that You uh, give give uh, enlightenment to us through Your Word as your word explains to us who you are and, and what you are doing and in a limited way. We can't fully know everything that's going on in our life and why it's going on. But w- what we do know is that you are in it and you are accomplishing all things for your glory. And that for believers, you are accomplishing all things for our good. And so we praise you for that and we look to you for grace. And we pray that you would help us take seriously our worship of you both corporately and privately, and that we would uh, experience in a powerful way, regularly, Your presence. Know that You are near, even in the times when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest times in life. May, may we recognize Your presence. May it be like a bright light shining through the clouds. And may we uh, know that You care and, and look to You for help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.